It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HR professionals, recruiters, and one actor as we try to navigate the world of business and make it just a little friendlier place. Uh, Linda, Ann, and Brennan, you're going to be leading our discussion today. And Linda, Ann, I'm pretty sure that you have some uh, articles that you wanted to share with us and some information, because today we're going to be talking about data literacy Building competence in data analytics and interpretation, which is fascinating to me. And I'm not an I.O., but I know that when I worked with corporate leaders doing speeches and presentations, I would often say, give me a set of numbers and I can prove both sides. Uh, So how do we navigate ourselves in this new world where data and analytics are becoming so important? So I, um, Jeremy was kind enough to do a little bit of the research for us, and I pulled some of the articles, and I'm posting those sightings and a little bit of a summary for each of those in the chat. They're uh, also, I'm sharing the PDFs in there as well, so. Okay. And basically, when I looked at this, because there were a lot of different, there was a lot of different content in there, but the ones that I found most relevant for me were the ones that talked a little bit about the the definition of what data literacy is to us now and how it applies to the the business situation. And in summary for the articles that I've posted is that there's a lack of understanding of really what how to analyze data and that individuals, business people, human resource people in their in their studies and things like that are not really being taught how to use data, how to gather data, and then how to apply it properly once you get into the, the workforce. And so one of the things that was really important in, from my perspective was that we don't know how to use the data in applicable way, applicable ways. And I'm I'll use just in human resources for an example. And and I think this is important because IOs are trained in the data analysis and how to do the the assessments and the research and to make it applicable to the workforce. But most other people in the environment are not and it's a real gap. So that's where IOs can provide a real service to industry. And so, for example, and this is just a very basic example, and it's kind of interesting because one of the models that that was used is to how to teach data literacy through storytelling. And there's a structure of storytelling, and I put the model in the chat, of how to go about it so that it's it's easier for people to integrate into their paradigm of thought and to how to apply it in in the workforce. But for one example, like I'm going to use um, is an experience I had where I was doing, and I did a significant amount of data analysis, but I also used data that was based on the industry that we were in. So I would interpret that both for um, the performance metrics and how to um, analyze what was happening in in human resources as well. But one example was I was collecting data on how many offer letters were accepted, right? That was a metric I would keep. How many letters sent out, how many were accepted, and so forth. And so I noticed that there was a dip in the number in, in that percentage, right? So that was telling me something. And if I looked at it on the surface, I could have said, well, either we're not recruiting properly or that the manager isn't doing interviews properly and so forth. But what I did was I found out it was one particular department that was having all of the 
the that was causing that dip and that it was because they were not offering industry standard pay. But so it's important to really think about how you use the data and not just take it on its surface. You have to kind of dig deep and analyze it to really be able to understand what it's telling you. And so from from that um, introduction, I'd love to hear what you have to say, Brendan, and then for people to challenge the thoughts. So I've shared all the articles in the chat. So if you want to talk, you know, reference any, feel free to go ahead. But I think when we we're talking about data, the specific purpose is to either solve a current problem or solve a potential future problem, or also anticipate trends that you're seeing right now that are going to cause a future issue. And you know, I think the concept of data literacy and research are still very much related within the, within the two topics of it. And one of the things that I struggle with is that people are really bad at research, so they're also kind of bad with interpreting data. And then if you mix in people who uh, are not functioning with integrity, they will also try to say that the data says something to try to reaffirm their beliefs or, or their opinions on something. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, the easiest, like the most popular data right now that is tangible for people to look at is sports. When you're talking about sports statistics, baseball has done a much deeper dive into it with certain categories of statistics that they've they've started to use now for the purposes of the game. And I think a lot of those concepts can also be taken to the workplace. It's just a matter of defining and putting constructs to your data. I've I've worked with a client that's was going off production numbers and it was something like, well, this person's producing at 120 and this person's producing at 320 pieces per hour. And the question is not, well, is 120 good? And you know, 340 must be really good and 120 must be really bad. How do you know 100's not good? 120's decent. And then this person who's 340 is just a rock star. So if you're not also putting what it needs to be measured against, is also a major struggle that I see because you're not defining what you're solving for, basically. So I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that, on things that they're seeing in their workplace. And if you'd love to join in, just raise your hand and we'll bring you up here. But Brenda, let me ask you, because it, there's a little fear running in my head already about using this information as a tool, as opposed to a weapon that, you know, if <laughs> I, I could... If I'm not ethical, I could use this information to basically go, you know, roughshod through my organization. So how do especially IOs navigate that? Well, I think most IOs that I've met do everything with the purpose of integrity. Um, you get into IO for the most people get into IO for the purposes of helping people either directly or indirectly. You know, the people who go more towards this I side that want to work with data, they still want to help people, but they don't want to work directly with them. So they're doing it through their through their data and their studies. Uh, whereas people on the O side are usually doing a little bit more quali- qualitative data and interactions with people. So I think both people are doing it for the same. Now, you also have people who get into data literacy who have, um, I'm sorry if I offend anyone by saying this, but have the typical like numbers accounting sort of personality. And their relations with people are usually a little bit strained because they do just see people as numbers. So it's very easy to look at numbers and then forget that there's an actual human attached to that number if that said metric has a human attached to it. And it's very easy to make decisions when you depersonalize it because I compare it to be sitting in traffic and you get very frustrated. And um, there's a very odd thing when you're sitting in traffic and you feel like you're alone because you're surrounded by 50 other pieces of 5,000, you know, 5,000 pounds of metal. But in reality, there are humans in that car. And that's why I feel that road rage within itself is so depersonalized because people do not realize that there's a person driving the car. And it's the same concept with the numbers. It's you don't realize that there's a person attached to that number. So like a lot of things, the, the information is good. It's it's how we use it. And we just must use it for good, not evil. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well. I I think that we would like for the information to be good, but that depends on the quality of the study or how the 
data was collected. But if we assume that it is good, that it is valid, then absolutely we have to consider how it's being interpreted. If you look at so-called scientific findings in general that people are bombarded with on a daily basis, mostly used for marketing. One day bacon's going to kill you. The next day you should be injecting this stuff straight into your veins. You can't get a straight story. And if you ever consider why do we get so many contradicting messages regarding supposed same issues, clearly there is something that has to do with interpretation. You have to be mindful of things such as who is funding a study. Um, you know, I, <laughs> if, if a study was paid for by a certain company and all of a sudden the study finds that their product is good for your health, that's suspect, which is why I think what Brandon said about IOs being in it for truth and actual interpretation of what the data is telling us, it, it's so important I too have never met an IO that's out to take over the world. I think that <laughs> generally speaking, we want to see what patterns are visible, what we could do to help things, to make things better. So when it comes to data in terms of organizations and companies, I would be very cautious and I would caution everybody against interpreting data themselves, even collecting data themselves. There's a reason why you get a PhD, which means that you are a scientist, you know how to conduct a study. So just because some survey app or, or software exists doesn't make you a scientist, doesn't mean you should be collecting data and then slapping your own emotionally driven, biased interpretation on it. And then like Brandon said, forget that there are humans involved, but rather go strictly by your faulty number. So there's so much to consider when we're talking about data. It cannot be left to the layperson to play with because you are playing with fire. You could make the data fit anything you want it to fit, essentially. This is why you need to bring an IO in, someone who truly understands how to properly design a study, collect data, and then what to do with that data, how to understand it. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> garbage in, garbage out, I think is the old computer phrase. Uh, and it's true what you say. I remember at one time, I think it was um, four out of five doctors recommend Marlboro. <laughs> so <laughs> got to be a little careful with numbers. Uh, Rich, let's go to you. All right. Uh, so something that was said here regarding like the um, the validity of what we're trying to measure, right? And the the content and the construct of what we're trying to measure, right? Um, I, I Coming from a consultant background, uh, one of the things that I've witnessed is where uh, specifically on data regarding assessments and, uh, you know, so stuff like the predictive index and, and the Myers-Briggs and, you know, the, the disk and those types of things, right? The data that we collect from that and people who have not undergone the training to develop the competencies to understand what that actually means and to be able to synthesize better conclusions about that, uh, particularly from the selection process. You know, when we do that, we we can make extraordinarily bad decisions with really, really great data. <laughs> you know, so you, you really have to understand what is being measured and to be able to discern through training, right, to, through developing the competency on how to analyze that data to make those better decisions. And unfortunately, we have people who made to just buy something off the shelf and then use it and go, hey, this person's PI looks great. They're a freaking genius. It's like, wait, that's that wasn't even what they were supposed to be measuring. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a it's a more of a personality test than a uh cognitive test, you know. So yeah, I, I'm just saying ethically, we practice within our within our uh, competencies. If you're going to use analytics, make sure you understand what 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 you're measuring and how to analyze it. That's it. Let me ask you though, Rich, because because I'm wondering, especially as a consultant, if you ever get any pushback from CEOs who are like, 
you know, you don't need to come into my organization and do research. There's lots of numbers out there. I'm sure you can find what you're looking for uh, because I don't really want you looking under the hood. Uh, does that ever happen? Well, I mean, frankly, as if they're hiring me as a consultant, typically they want me to look under the hood to see what's going on, you know, uh, so they're, they're not bringing me in as somebody who is extracting something from elsewhere. And there's the thing from, in my experience, when I bring that stuff, those external, that, that external data in, right, that's when they go, but it doesn't pertain to me. <laughs> You know, it's this is you're you're talking about something that happened with this company, but I have a, a vastly different company, and everything is different about me. You know, so I, I think I have the opposite experience. You know, not not looking under the hood. They want me to to see this. That having been said, to they have goals and they want you to attain those goals, and sometimes you know they want you to to fit the data to meet those goals, you know, so you have to be careful about that too, because uh, you, you can, you can get into a very biased situation that, uh, that can lead to a spurious outcome. Great. Well, thank you very much for that. Jeannie, sure. let's go to you. Well, so recently uh, we've been doing some leadership assessments, 360 degrees assessments at my work. And it's really interesting because while I've request um I've received the request to to answer the questions I other than seeing them in the hall and saying hi and bye I really have no idea about all of these questions that I'm being asked and so realistically looking at how applicable it is how likable the individual is how you know and and as an IO I know how to answer those questions but realistically how how would a, a person who doesn't understand how their data is going to affect that, their answers can very well throw off the study or negatively or uh, positively impact the person. If they like the person or don't like the person, they can give a high report of the person or a low report just on likability factors. That's a really good point. And, and Brendan, let me actually go back to you on that, because how, how do we negotiate that? How do we get employee buy-in to do the, to do the research, to be part of, of gathering the data when, you know, I, I've been in situations where I'm a little bit like, um, what do you want this for? And am I in trouble? So I think transparency is extremely important within this is that um, I do a lot of qualitative interviews uh, when I go into an organization and I make sure that I always use the disclaimer that this is confidential, but not anonymous because they do know that we are talking to you. So I think putting those disclaimers in is extremely important within the concept of when you're collecting data. Also, I'll just, I'll say it because it has to be said, but Generically speaking, if you're going to measure something and you're going to collect data on something and then you do nothing with it, that's when you're going to frustrate employees and then they're going to go, why did you ask me for my opinion on this if, if nothing good was going to come of it or if it was just going to sit there? So I would also caution with that as well. And did you have another point you wanted to make? I saw your hand was up. Yeah. So I just wanted to go back to the article about creating an understanding of, uh, let me just make sure I get the title correctly. So creating an understanding of data literacy for a data-driven society. This is a UK article. So some of the spelling might be off for those of us in the US. They talk about this idea of competence, uh, which we would probably call competencies, but it's, it's the idea of definitions of data literacy and statistical literacy and not necessarily being the same thing, although they are related. And what I pose back is that, is this something that if we are such a data-driven society, why that's not involved in schooling somehow beyond just a basic level statistics course that teaches us averages, mean, median, and mode? And sometimes I feel like people don't even know how to interpret that. But that's the question that I pose out because, I mean, there's so many things out there right now that is being told to us through the media or by companies trying to sell a product masking as, as you know, this is news and it's not. And if you don't know how to dig in deeper to actually find the studies and look into it and then find that it's bunk, 
how many people are are not I want to use the word getting screwed because of this. And, and you just did. Uh, <laughs> let me let me ask you this though, because it raises the question: Do universities who teach IO psychology need to revamp their programs? Are are we now as we div- you know, as the IO field becomes more and more popular, are we going to need to go back to where we train the IOs and go things like data analytics? You need more than just a statistics class. You actually need maybe even practicums in how to interpretate the data. So I think most standard IO programs are going to have the main three of you're going to t- take the statistics course, you're going to take a research methods course, and then you're also going to have an ethics course. Uh, I think those three foundations are extremely important, but it also is very much dependent on the curriculum within that. And I think we do need to stay ahead of it. I think it'd be you know, foolish to say, oh, these, these things aren't going to change that much or they haven't changed that much, but that's just completely false. So making sure that you're on the cutting edge of how to properly use these statistical formulas is extremely important, but then ethically using them in the right circumstances and coming to the right conclusions is probably the next step. And we need to make sure that we continue that message and that the ethics portion of it does not get dropped. Agreed. Thank you very much for that. And Linda, and let's go to you. So two things I want to really reiterate what what Brendan said earlier about the the follow-up on data. That's a critical, critical piece that if you ask people information that you need to give them a response about what you how you're going to implement any response to it. In other words, if and I would say this when a company was saying, well, let's ask them if they want us to implement a 401k. And I would say, well, don't ask the question unless you're willing to do it. Because if you're not willing to have a some kind of follow-up or justification for not doing it in the end, then it, then it's just going to cause invalidation in the data. They're not going to want to participate or give you honest answers in the future. So it's it's critical to have that follow-up. The other thing that I wanted to mention was when you talk about the utilization of, of the information in the workforce and the and how people are trained is the article on creating an understanding of data literacy for a data-driven society. That, oh no, excuse me, the next one is uh, towards data literacy competencies, business students and workforce needs. That one indicated a real disparity between what employers are expecting and looking for from the people that they're hired and what they're really getting, and that they think that they are not prepared to do the data analysis required and that the the employer needs. So there's a real gap there. Um, and, And, you know, business students get statistical analysis, you know, statistics and things like that, but that's pretty much it right? They don't get the other pieces of it of how to conduct the studies or or, or whatever. So yeah, I think there is a real gap. And when you only use one element of, an, of a tool, it's, it's not going to perform the way you would like it to. But, but don't we have a generally an epidemic of not following up in organizations? I mean, I've done lots of training, which is, you know, usually comes from the HR department. And for, you know, six weeks, we're all focused on this training. But six months later, because, you know, once the trainer leaves, um, we just sort of slipped back into the old habits. So is that part of the issue, too, is that this isn't just a one-off, that these are changes that that take time to actually uh, become a foundation of the organization? I think that one of the things that's been missing and and, and, thing, and there's a little bit more of a focus on it now is the sustainability piece that's built into any kind of training is how do you sustain that change in behavior? Otherwise, yeah, it's a one and done. doesn't matter how long the program is. If it's not, there's not that sustainability aspect to, to it built in, then it's probably not a good use of money. No, no, <laughs> it's really not. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, 
blaze your eye a path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Going back to the idea of data collection, uh, something that Jeannie brought up, you know, if you're, if a company is using a survey or an assessment that is asking questions to which employees truly don't know the answers and you don't have the option to say not applicable or I don't know, then that piece of data is not valid because they're guessing by being forced to answer a question they don't know the answer to. There is no magic formula that somebody knows how to answer that. If you don't know the answer, you don't know the answer and you're guessing. So you are starting potentially with data that is flawed. So this is why I'm so cautious against just picking any random survey or or assessment just because it's been out there and it's been used a lot, you have to make sure it's right for your particular organization and for your purpose, right? This is, again, why you need an IO to come in and make all of those determinations alongside with the organization before a survey or an assessment is administered. Because if you're starting with data that is flawed, even in part, then you're starting with garbage. What do you expect to extract from that? You're not going to get any enlightening data from it or information or conclusions, right? You you just, like somebody said, garbage in, garbage out. So this is why, you know, yes, we're we're a data-driven company, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, it's the blind leading the blind when we're talking about generalities, right? You've got marketing that's all, you know, telling you all this data just to fool you to buy their products. And people feel good about talking data. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no idea. They're not trained in that. But something, someone on TV told them that, or they saw it on Facebook or whatever, whatever. And now we're this data-driven society. We're people with blindfolds on our eyes, driving vehicles on the highway. That's what it comes down to. This is why you need professionals. Just because there's a survey out there, you can buy it, doesn't mean that it's the right survey. It doesn't mean that the data you collect with it will be valid. And it doesn't mean that you'll get the interpretation that will benefit anybody. So I'm so cautious against just everybody jumping on this data bandwagon because so much of it has the potential of completely derailing. And you're totally wasting your money if you don't have an IO psychologist you know, on the team who actually can interpret it and, and actually bring you something better. Uh, Rich, let's go to you. Uh, yeah, Tom, you, you brought up two things. One was about uh, should training be on specific data be included in university studies? And I would argue that there is, so I have both an MBA from years ago, and now I'll have an MS in two weeks. So, so uh, you know. So, we're, but the the point here is that I I think we've had more of a practical, real world application uh, in in our studies today than we had when I went to school before. You know, so I didn't I didn't have that. You know, using analytics and and. Uh, marketing, you know, when from from my MBA and but I had I certainly had more of that practical um application in my current MS. But you can also 
pick up a lot of the a lot of those um, KSAs through LinkedIn Learning and Udemy and all those other things you know on your own, which you know we probably arguably should be doing to supplement uh, and and you know keep keep growing and 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 keep learning. But the second thing that you mentioned was the trainer comes in, the trainer teaches and 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 gets those competencies up, and then everybody you know goes back to the norm after that. And, you know, so the the new world, uh, Kirkpatrick model, which, you know, some of us probably know about, you're, you're supposed to monitor, I'm looking right at it here and I'll share the link to it, but, you know, monitor, reinforce, encourage, and reward for on-the-job learning in the, in the third um, level of it, right, and uh, behavior. And that's the component that often gets missed is, you know, the, the performance management part of it after so yeah i mean it happens all the time that we we don't do that you know but uh um you know if we're not reinforcing if we're not rewarding and and encouraging continuous learning it's like look i took four years of french in high school i I couldn't i couldn't say anything today right so if you don't practice it you don't you know you don't retain it you know so and and there you go (laughs) and then it's just a waste of time and money uh linda and let's go to you I had two comments. One is, I think that that people underestimate the criticalness of having any questions because people are going to do the surveys and they're with you know in house and so forth. But underestimating how critical the wording of a particular question is, and wording questions properly is really an art form. And you know, so often people would say something like. Um, uh, do you enjoy the flavor of green and yellow and yellow apples? Right. And so people might say yes, but they might say, but they might only really like the green ones. It's not the yellow ones. So, you know, it's, and that's a common flaw in questions where they put something and something in the same question. And that's going to skew your data. Right. So that's just a real simple thing, but to really be careful about the questions that you utilize and how they're formulated in any survey that that you do. And then I think there's also a perception of, you know, for example, like IOs uh, doing assessments, say like emotional intelligence assessments, and you mentioned the DISC assessments and, and personality evaluations kind of things. And I think that Many business people will say, well, that's fine. That's for human resources. That's over here. But I've got all this business data, right? All these numbers. And maybe they're not. How do we get them to understand that sometimes you have to look at that data in a certain way to get the right information? That's a great question because, you know, once again, I'll go back to I can use those numbers to prove anything or disprove anything. Um, so, <laughs> so, Brendan, do you, how do you interpret the numbers to ask the right questions or am I getting that backwards? Well, I think I was going to touch on the last article that was in, that was shared, which is teaching data science through storytelling. And I think that's, that article is extremely important within the concept of when you're, when you are presenting data, you don't want it to be in data speak. You want to use the five W's. So who, what, when, where, why, and then how. So when we do it in that sense, we are presenting the data in a way that it doesn't need to be, you don't need to have a statistical background or data background to be able to interpret things. So it it becomes more on the person presenting it to be able to translate it. And then also within this, it's also talking about making sure that it also communicates to learners of diverse backgrounds and perspectives. And I think that's extremely important with any presentation of anything, but definitely with data, because it's extremely easy to manipulate data through sample sizes and population sizes to try to tell a story that is not true. Happens all the time. It's just, are you able to figure that out? So when you have to tell it in a story mode, it's a lot easier to pick up on the social cues that exist within there that eh, something about the way they said that is is off. And I really loved that Rich brought up Kirkpatrick's model because it's something that I wanted to talk about, but I had, I had brought it up previously on um, other calls. But this idea of going back to if you're going to measure something with data, what are you actually going to do with it? And Tom, it's exactly what you said. It says, we do this one thing and then it drops off. 
And, and Kirkpatrick's model is very specific to training, but again, I think it applies to a lot of other areas of HR, IO, and even just business development, organizational development. You need to be asking the right questions so that the answer will be, what roadblocks are you going to have in being able to use this program and be able to use this training? And if one of the roadblocks is my manager lets everything die because they just think it's the new flavor of the month, well, then you know that this might be a complete waste of time or you're going to need to do some sort of intervention within this intervention to make sure that that steam that you gained keeps going. So that is actually a portion of data collection within itself because we're talking about collecting data on people's opinions about whether or not they feel that whatever this change initiative is, is going to stick and figuring out what roadblocks are there from getting it to stick. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I am so fascinated by the concept of using storytelling, both as an actor and a professional speaker, because it's always amazed me that how if you tell stories, you get so much more buy-in from your audience and they actually retain much more of the information. So if, when you want to collect data, get an IO psychologist, get them to interpret it. And then if you're an IO psychologist and you have to tell stories, talk to me. <laughs> little plug there myself. Um, Linda, and how are we doing here? Are, are we staying on topic? Are we, are we really looking at the competencies or have we been you know, talking a lot about how we're that if you don't get an IO psychologist and someone who really knows what they're doing, you could really mess this up. Well, I think that maybe we can go to the the next stage of it is there's the need for it, but how do we, how do we get that into the organization? What's the best avenue for creating that competency within an organization so that it's, they have that in-house person who can help them. And does it need to be in multiple departments? And at what level does it need to be? So I'd love to hear people's input as to where you feel the best place is for somebody to develop some competencies within an organization. And to what degree does that competency need to be developed? Well, I know... (laughs) I know from personal experience that, you know, leadership and leadership competency really needs, you know, some focus. Uh, It's been surprising me having discussions over the last while with people that management and leadership are seen as the same things. And, you know, I always love listening to you guys for things like you manage projects, you lead people, or management is something you do when your leadership skills fail. Uh, So... You know, are do we? Wouldn't it be great if we developed the competency of leadership, so that when people like IOs come in and and we do these the research, we you know we look at all the numbers, that that person is more an ally than asking the question, "How much is this going to cost me?" Uh, Brendan, let's go to you. Well, I think the first thing, if we're going to take a data driven approach to this, is that. My natural thinking is how are we defining leadership and how are we defining management? And then you would ask the, the employees if you if you really wanted to take a deeper dive into this portion of it, there you might want to use some sort of rating scale on their ability to be this competency as a leadership and this competency as management. I could see that then turning into how do we build that person up as a better leader, a better manager, or whatever it's going to be through that natural course of it. But without it goes back to this idea of just telling the story, though. I think just because I see this all the time, I collect data and then I then I present it to somebody and they're like, oh, so this, this is this and this. And I was like, no, that's not at all what I just said. So, you know, within that concept of prevent, presenting to executive leaders, sometimes they want to hear what they want to hear and they just want to ignore what they didn't want to hear. And I think having an organization that is going to be successful and meet its goals and grow if that is the goal of the organization, because, I mean, that's one of the the questions that you have to ask any business is what is your ultimate goal for what you want to do with this organization? And some of them is just, look, I just want to make some money and I don't really care about everything else. Then you have to be a lot more comfortable with the amount of turnover that's going to come with that. And that might be a, a, a data piece where you just don't look at turnover. 
But also don't be surprised that about all the issues that come with turnover and the toxicity that exists in your workplace because you have so much turnover. That's me telling a story surrounding that data. So the ability to tell it in a way and also be able to go, no, that's not what I said. And being firm about that is something I think that a lot of people struggle with because they interpret that as difficult information or a difficult conversation. And it has to be much more of a transactional. I know, I know Jeremy, I feel like I'm getting off topic, but Jeremy preaches the idea of doing a psychological contract with someone that you're working with so that if we hit an impasse, we can say, you know, as per our psychological contract, we said we were going to speak up when I feel uncomfortable or I feel like that you're fighting me too much of the way. And maybe that's a, that's a piece that you use within this concept of presenting to leadership, presenting data. So thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's really hard to confront leadership in that way. And and oftentimes they, they don't want to listen. Is it about courage? Do you have to have the courage to speak up for, your, for what you know and believe? Or is that just too simple? I think that's too simple. I think a lot of that comes with experience. I think it comes with learning that person as a person and how they react to certain things. And then maybe you present it in a different way that doesn't trigger them. <laughs> That's why I'm not an IO. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things that I've seen in some organizations is that leadership or, or maybe the owner or owners bring in an outside uh, consultant and their attitude basically comes down to fix these people that work for me, find out what's wrong with them and fix them. And they are completely divorced from the entire thing. And they put this task upon an external consultant, which is neither realistic nor right. (laughs) You can't be in leadership or you can't be the owner and expect success at its best with that kind of approach or that kind of attitude. The other thing is uh, to what Brandon was saying, how they people hear what they want to hear sometimes. I think the other piece to that is that people don't understand that there's a big, big difference between causation and correlation. Just because these things These two things happen to occur around the same time doesn't mean that one causes the other. Um, So IOs definitely have their work cut out for them because not only do you have to know what surveys or assessment to use, how to properly use them, how to extract the data, how to interpret the data, how to tell the story, but then you're also working with how to convey the information to those receiving it, especially when they are receiving it through certain veils or they're not hearing what you have to say because they are completely divorced from the situation. So you can't ask just anybody off the street to do this. You really need somebody who knows what they're doing, who has knowledge, experience, um, under the their belt, so to speak, so that you truly can use data in a way that can be helpful to not only to the leadership, but to the organization as a whole, to the workforce, because data can be a wonderful, wonderful source of information of what to do and where to go. But there are so many variables that can potentially derail it. You can't just leave it up to chance by just letting anybody dabble in it. And that's all it is, is dabbling. And sometimes it can be detrimental. I'm one of those people who like to dabble. And in in January, I noticed up here in Canada that every time I had a ham sandwich, it snowed. So, you know, (laughs) I stopped eating ham. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. That's a good one, Tom. Um, I think it's important to figure out how we can make what the data says relevant to the people who might have the authority to use it and care about using it. And one of the things, one of the examples I'm going to use for that is I'm aware of this company, it's a large company, it's a multinational company, and they have an extremely high rate of turnover in this one department. 
the industry itself has a high rate of turnover, right? And it's in a different population. This particular uh, site is in a different po- you know, population than the rest of the, the company. But there are ways to spin narratives around the data, right? So that, yeah, that's, that's a high turnover industry. So there's, right, there's, it's also this particular population is a high turnover population. Rather than looking at, is there a toxic environment that's being created by this specific manager? And so I think that too often management doesn't really, or leadership doesn't take the time or doesn't have that connection on how relevant the information really can be for them because they're too used to just dismissing things based on a narrative. Is that making sense? Uh, yes, it does. And, and and I saw a lot of heads nodding up and down. But, you know, as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, it does seem the larger the corporation, the more of that we see. You know, there there are major corporations and maybe they're so large that they, they don't care about the frontline workers anymore or they've forgotten about them. Uh, but we see major organizations who seem to be more focused on the profit model. Uh, and they don't care about the the turnover, you know, as long as, you know, we keep meeting our, our quarterly targets. So, so Brenda, let me go to you and, and like, how, how do you reach out to those organizations who maybe they're hearing the message, but I'm happy with the turnover just as long as we meet our quarterly projections. Well, I also think that when those type of organizations are looking at data, they're only going to, they don't care they should care, but they do not care what's going on as much at other organizations because they are so large. They might have such a large uh, sample of the population in that industry because of the size of that organization. So they're going to believe that their data is as true as it needs to be because they have such a large share of that market. Doesn't mean like I mean, there's plenty of companies out there who, who go with rank and yank, and it's just whoever's the lowest performer at the end of this quarter is just has to go. I mean, it's very popular in law firms, um, and I might be dating myself because that's where I always have heard it being the most popular place for it. And just you can't complain about the cultural issues that you're going to have with an organization like that because your organization is going to be cutthroat. And if you're you're prepared for the turnover like that, I know about a pretty large company that has so much turnover and it's just dependent upon, look, we're just going to hire contracted workers and they give them this perception that it's temp to perm. And then they never actually let the person go perm, which is probably violating a lot of FLSA laws, but they're large enough to get away with it uh, because they also have lobbyists for that company too. So this is just the whole point point of being data literate is that you have to know every piece of data that goes into the equation. And, and, and it's not easy. I'm not saying it is. Uh, I know some post-secondary institutions that do the same sort of thing. <laughs> Three years of a sessional. Oh, got to find a new sessional. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think if you're looking at an organization that is more concerned about its shareholders and their happiness than they are with the workforce and the people in the trenches, so to speak, then that would be a tall order for anybody, including an IO, to change their minds and put their employees ahead of their shareholders. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't think it's possible. (laughs) But you have to, if you're going into an organization like that as a consultant, you have to be aware of these things. And Think about organizations who are big enough to have shareholders. What's their number one priority? Can any of us name one where their number one priority are not the shareholders? I can't think of any. So we have to keep that in mind because you can have the best assessment, the best data interpretation, the best storytelling, the best everything. But if they don't care about the workforce, if they don't care about the culture, if the only the the only bottom line that matters is the shareholders and what they get out of it, then that's all there is to it. Uh, we, we actually had a, a, a rather large company up here in Canada in the resource industry who within the last week announced that they were laying off over well over a thousand people. And the reason was shareholder dividends were not high enough. 
Um, so that is happening. And, you know, hey, I give them kudos for at least being honest about it, uh, but it does seem to happen a lot. And um, we could end up with a lot of trouble if that continues. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't see a lot of changes. Uh, with that, we are getting very close to the end. And uh, just to give some uh, highlights of what's coming up, uh, next week, uh, we will be talking about upskilling and reskilling strategies for continuous learning and development. Uh, and then also we've got some uh, pop-up things happening as well. Brendan or Linda Ann, uh, anything that you guys have going that's coming up? I don't, I think Lee's pop-up is tonight, right? Uh, yeah, Lee's pop-up tonight is getting very, very popular. Yes. <laughs> so make sure you tune in if you have the opportunity. It's uh, every Thursday evening. Um, and then we do have the CBOC conference coming up in August. So if you haven't registered for that, uh, it's absolutely free to attend. So make sure there's going to be a lot of great information shared during that. And Dr. Martha, where can we find your podcast? My podcast, which is called Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Greidek, is available on all of the major platforms, Amazon, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and also on YouTube, on my um, YouTube channel, Stress-Free with Dr. G. So check that out. You are everywhere, <laughs> which is good to know. Keep spreading the word. And so with that, everyone, I think we should probably wrap this up and head off. So thank you very much, Linda Ann and Brendan, for leading us today. Uh, Dr. Martha Rich and everybody who you know chimed in, we always appreciate your comments that keep the conversation going and make it so much more informative. Uh, and with that, everyone, I think it is time to go. So Linda Ann, if you wouldn't mind counting us out. We will see everybody in one week's time. Five, four, three, two, one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.